You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. You can be turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First, I want to tell you about so last weekend, uh, me and my son, Kayla, we went to a football game in Cowboy Stadium. We went to see uh, A&M and Arkansas play, and it was not a very good game. And so the best thing that happened in that game was what happened on the Jumbotron. And y'all, if you've been, you know they got that huge screen. It runs from like 120-yard line to the other. It's massive. So a couple things, a um, couple of my favorite things about that game I saw on that screen. Number one was the dance cam. And they got this at every game. You know what I'm talking about. They start playing music, and then they just start throwing people on the screen. They're on video. And so, you know, they're sitting there. They don't know. Somebody points out, and they're like, oh, oh, that's us. We're on the big screen. And they can make up a dance move in the moment. And then the camera shifts to some baby. It's a baby. So somebody holds up the baby, and everybody cheers. Everybody loves the baby. And then the camera shifts to a fat dad. And so the fat dad hadn't had his moment of fame in a long time, so fat dad starts dancing, and he's no good at it. And so then the camera shifts again to somebody that doesn't know they're on the screen, and they're just picking their nose. And everybody laughs. Everybody loves it. And every game I'm ever at, that's what they do, and I never get tired of it. Well, the next part of this illustration, I just want to pause first. I want to dedicate this to Mike Coslow. Uh, I don't think he's here today, but Mike, if you're listening, this is for you. Because my second favorite thing I saw on that Jumbotron was the A&M marching band. I know. I just divided the church. We just split right in that moment. Did you feel it? So, y'all, this Aggie band comes on, and there's a ton of people, uh, a massive load of people. But, y'all, they come out there, and they just walk and march through this field with just incredible precision and unity. I mean, at times it was so perfect. It was like CGI almost. And I remember one shot in particular they did like a bird's eye view. So the camera was right above the band and you could see it from the top down. And I'm talking like perfect spacing, exact, uniform, everyone in step together. I, I, I don't know how they did that. It's amazing. And then of course they march and they make the A&M sign and they do all these things together. And it, What's amazing to me about it is it's not CGI, and it's not like it's a bunch of clones. You know, we haven't got that advanced yet. It's all different instruments they got to carry, all different uh, people, all races, sizes, and gender. So there's an, actually an immense diversity to it, but there's an amazing unity that they accomplish. And because of that, because of that diversity, but this overarching unity, all that the Aggie marching band is able to elicit a response that the dance cam never could. I mean, dance cam, the best you're going to get is a, you know, ha, 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 for five seconds, and then it's over. That marching band is able to elicit awe, amazement, wonder. How did they do that? That's something the dance cam can never do. And this is a picture of the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is filled with a bunch of people who want to be on the dance cam. Zoom in on me. Look at me. Look what I can do. And Paul is writing saying, no, 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 no. What we're looking for here is the Aggie marching band. And y'all, this is the nicest I'll ever be about A&M, okay? So don't get used to it. 
See, Paul's theme, his theme throughout the book is this, that the church is the cross on display. So you think about this, a marching band, they get on the field, they go together, and they make a shape, don't they? Well, they're not making the A&M logo. As a church, together, the shape we make is the shape of the cross. See, back then, they didn't have James Avery to put us, you know, give us all the cross necklaces and cross jewelry so everyone could see the cross. No, no, no. So Paul said, hey, this world out there, you know how they're going to know that the cross was a thing and what it meant? Church, you're going to show them. You're going to put it on display. And so that means the church is not you on display. This book is not about you and me separately. This book is about us together. What do we do together that we can't do on our own? That means it's not a book about personal preference on display. That's what they were doing. They were creating factions based on who their favorite teacher was and how they want to do worship. And Paul is adamant that this stops. And what the focus is today, what we're going to find out today, is the church is not a specific leader on display. See, they, they were dividing over which teacher they liked best. And some of these leaders, y'all, that they were following, they had no interest in putting the cross on display. Their whole focus was putting themselves on display. And so Paul writes to them to say, hey, we got to have better discernment about the leaders that we follow. And so here's what I think is Paul's big idea today. It's this. If a leader isn't taking you to the cross, don't follow them. If a leader is not taking you to the cross, do not follow them. Let's open our Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read the first six verses and then pause and talk about it. He writes, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What, did you? what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul, we're going to break this into three sections. In each, sec- each section, Paul's going to describe the right type of Christian leader. The first thing he's saying is Christian leaders steward the cross. Christian leaders are stewards of the cross. And so the first Two labels he gives to a Christian leader are, number one, servants. Now, again, we've said this. Paul loves long arguments in 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, we just got to get used to it. And so he's actually going back to the previous chapter. You may remember when he said, we're all fellow workers in the field. We're servants in God's field. And so we are all interdependent on one another. And all of us together are dependent on the God who causes growth. That's what he's saying. And then he says we're stewards. So a steward was a a household servant. 
And the thing about a steward is, is you may live in the house, you've got some responsibilities in the house, but guess what? That ain't your house. And that's what he's saying about himself, Apollos, any Christian leader. Listen, this is not my ministry. This is not my church. This is God's church. He's the owner. We're just stewards here. And he says there's something in particular that we steward. He says we steward the mysteries of God. Now, that sounds kind of mystical and ominous, but again, this is a phrase Paul has used already. He will continue to use repeatedly, the mysteries of God. What is that? Well, y'all, he doesn't mean, you know, some super hard to figure out spiritual secret that only the most spiritual people have figured out, and you got to go to their conference to find out what it is. That's not what he's talking about. When he says the mysteries of God, he means the gospel. It's actually not hard to understand. What he means is the cross is not man's idea. None of us came up with it. It's not the result of some focus group. Y'all, no focus group would ever say, you know what we need to do to make our religion really popular? Let's have our God mocked, beaten, and crucified. None of us would ever come up with that. So in that sense, it's the the mystery of God. In fact, Paul says over and over in 1 Corinthians, the cross, it's foolishness to man. To our natural selves, it sounds crazy. But, he says, it's the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is summed up in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's Paul's message over and over again. And that's why leaders must lead us to the cross because the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. And this, and this alone is the message that has been entrusted to leaders as servants, as stewards. That is the message that we serve. That is the message that we've been entrusted with. And he says in verse 2, the best thing we can do. Y'all, we don't have to come up with anything. We don't have to invent anything. The best thing that can be said of any, any of us is that we are faithful. We are faithful to that message of the cross. I know things, life can get really complicated, y'all, but you can also boil it down and make it really simple. All of us, we really only have one job as, fo- as followers of Christ, just one job, to be faithful to the message of the cross that God has entrusted to us. That's it. But you know, often we want more, don't we? we and often we want more out of our leaders, People come to church, we know this, for all kind of reasons. You know, it, hey, give me a good experience. Give me some good advice. Fix some of my problems. Maybe help inflate my self-esteem a little bit. And there's countless leaders who are, are absolutely willing to offer that. But Paul is saying here, if the leader isn't taking you to the cross, please don't follow them. See, there's a message that you'll find in abundance in our, in our culture. And that's that you are, on the whole, a good person. You just need a couple more life hacks, a little more good advice, maybe a, a positive experience or two to kind of get you on your way, and that's all you need. That sounds great, but that's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that you and I were so lost and dead in our sins that God had to put on skin, put on humanity, come to earth. He lived the life you couldn't live, and then he died the death that you deserved. See, the message of the cross isn't that you love God. It's that God loves you so much that he was willing to do that for you. It's the only thing, the only thing in the end that a Christian leader can do 
is be faithful to that message. But who decides? I mean, who decides if a leader is being a good servant, being a good steward? Well, he picks that up in verse 4. And essentially he says, in the end of the day, God. Now, we got to be careful. Y'all, I know people tend to lose their minds anytime the Bible talks about judging. And it can be confusing because there's places the Bible seems to say, don't judge. And so we go around, don't judge me. You can't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. But then there's other places where the Bible says to judge. In fact, I would say this is exhibit one. He is asking them to discern their good leaders, their cross-centered leaders from their worldly leaders. He's asking them to practice judgment, okay? And so we know this, y'all. Words have multiple meanings based on the context they're in. So I'm going to differentiate between discernment and judgment. So he's saying, absolutely, yes, you need to discern the, the people who are claiming to be leaders based on their faithfulness to the message of the cross. Okay? Absolutely, you need, to, you need to do that. But he's saying, don't elevate yourself and your opinions to the place of the judgment seat of God. That's what he means here when he says that God will judge. And this fits the context, right? He's saying, don't elevate yourself too much. That's throughout the book. So don't elevate your personal experience at the cost of others. But also, don't elevate your opinion to the judgment of God, as if you're him and you know all the things he knows. He says there's two things. There's two things that God knows and you don't. Number one, he says, you can't see the heart. You don't know people's true motives. God can see that. Number two, he says, you don't know the end of the story. So he says, wait, wait till Christ returns. Everything will be made apparent then. And so there may be someone, y'all, that's on a struggle bus right now that you would never identify as a good leader, but God's not done with them yet. And he's actually going to use them in a powerful way. Vice versa, there may be somebody who's awesome and great and everybody loves, but man, they're going to crash and burn. God knows how that story is going to end, but we don't. And how many times have we seen that story not end well? So here's, what I, here's how I would put it. So this is the Clint standard version. Uh, this is not scripture, okay? But this is how I would summarize it. Your goosebumps aren't the same as God's judgment. Your goosebumps are not the same as God's judgment. Now, they're not bad. We all have preferences. There's very talented people out there that we all like to listen to and enjoy, and they're great, and that's good. But we're not God. And so we can't elevate our personal experience and opinions to God's judgment seat. And y'all, this is one of those areas. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, this is one of those areas you can test and see if the Bible's telling you the truth. Every scientific study, and if you're willing to be honest with yourself, your own personal experience says that the people that we like, the people we find attractive, we naturally assume are better people, are more moral, are are good in every way. It's a thing. It's called the halo effect. And we all do it. And this was the mentality in Corinth. So in Corinth, when they were saying someone is wise, when someone is sophisticated, when someone is charismatic, they also meant that person is more moral, more spiritual, closer to God. They, they're connecting those dots. And we do this, don't we? I mean, you hear a speaker or a, or a singer or read an author and you love it and and you, you get so much out of it, and you find them so winsome and profound. And that's great. 
But then we take the next step. Man, they must be so anointed by God. They must have such a close relationship to God. They must be so spiritually mature. They must have such a great heart. In fact, I look around, y'all, I think most people, most people in our culture can't tell the difference between personal charisma and spiritual maturity. We tend to equate those one-to-one, personal charisma and spiritual maturity. And then the scandal happens, right? I mean, how many times have we seen that play out? Somebody we elevate, somebody we put on a pedestal. Turns out we couldn't see in their hearts after all. Turns out our opinions and our preferences should not have been elevated to the place of God's judgment where we, we think we can see into their hearts. Paul's warning us, listen, we have to have a different lens with which we view leaders. And he's going to move us, he's going to nudge us towards that better lens in this next verse with a couple questions. He asks, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not? Oh, men and women, I mean, if we could remember this, we'd fix most of our problems, wouldn't we? Everything we have is a gift, and so there is no place for our pride. In fact, John Knox, he loved this verse. On his deathbed, he talked about this verse. He was telling them, he said, hey, I've been tempted by Satan my whole life. But when he saw he could not prevail, he tempted me to have trust in myself or to have rejoiced or boasted in myself. But I repulsed him with this sentence, with this Verse, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not? When he says boast here, he's talking about our pride. He's talking about elevating ourselves, our opinions, our experiences. He's saying, don't be a dance cam Christian. Instead, there is something we boast in. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 14, but far be it from me to boast, one exception. Except in one thing, Paul says, there is one thing I will boast about, the cross. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here, he is like a medical genius, rightly diagnosed their real ailment, their pride. I can judge as well as God can. My experience is the end all be all. But as D.A. Carson put it, how can any thoughtful person be arrogant standing beside the cross? Men and women, if a leader isn't taking you to the cross, no matter how winsome, no matter if they perfectly fit your preferences, don't follow them. Well, y'all, I feel like I have to prepare us. This next section is so biting and so sarcastic. Frankly, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, can you talk like that in the Bible? I didn't know you could talk like that in the Bible. But Paul does. So I'm going I'm to take a, a gander at reading it the way I think he would have said it. Oh, already you have all you want? Already you have become rich? Without us, you have become kings? Oh, and would that you did reign so that we, we might share the rule with you. 
For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become the spectacle of the world to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I think the next thing Paul is trying to help us understand is that Christian leaders live the cross. Christian leaders live the cross. And in, kind of in his biting sarcasm, what he's doing is he's using their own quotes against them. So these are things they're saying. I, I have all I want. It's this triumphalism. You know, I, I'm so spiritual, I have no problems. I'm rich. God really likes me. And you know that because of how many material blessings I have. And to that, he, he says, wow, you guys are so impressive. He's mocking them. He's mocking that attitude. And he's casually pointing out that their life is the opposite of his. You know, Paul the Apostle. And he's pointing out, something's gone wrong when you're claiming a life that is opposite of an apostle. Something's wrong here. So he describes his life. He says, we're, we're like men condemned to die, a spectacle. And y'all, he's citing something that everyone receiving this book would have seen since they were a child. It's this picture of a Roman army returning triumphant from battle, marching back into the city with the spoils of their war. And they would have this whole uh, line, this whole procession. And at the front would be the Roman general and kind of behind him, the other soldiers and his underlings. After that would come the defeated uh, enslaved people, and that would start with the defeated general and then his underlings. But then in the very back, eating everyone's dust, was the captured slaves. You know what's going to happen to those captured slaves after this procession is done? They're going to be taken into the Colosseum or whatever the theater was, and they're going to be murdered as sport, as a game as a spectacle to the population for their enjoyment. Paul says, that's us. That's us. Back of the line, sentenced to death as a spectacle for the world. Sounds a lot like the cross, doesn't it? He says, verse 11, 12, we're poor, we're hungry. He ends it by saying, we are the thrown away trash of the world. But here's what's amazing. He's not mad about it. He describes his response. We, we bless. We endure. We continue to preach the gospel. We're not deterred. See, Paul knows he, he's okay with being homeless because he knows this world is not his home. He doesn't mind being poor because he is certain he has treasures in heaven. And he doesn't mind being persecuted because he's following the cross. He did not expect anything different. 
when I was reading Paul's description here, it reminded me of another passage, a passage from the Old Testament. It reminded me of the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. I'll just read just verse 3 through 5. Tell me if this doesn't sound like Paul. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Of course, that's the prophecy about Jesus Christ and the cross. The wisdom and the power of God. And what Paul, I think, is saying in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, listen, I don't just believe in the facts of the cross. I follow it as a pattern for my life. I die to myself daily for the sake of God and the sake of others in his kingdom. Men and women this morning, please, please listen to this. You have to know you are living in a prosperity gospel culture that would have you believe in a cross without picking up a cross. There's lots of, lots of leaders out there they will tell you, follow me into a path of health, wealth, and prosperity, fixing your problems in an easier life. It was prevalent in Corinth. Y'all, we didn't make it up, but it's prevalent today. But if leaders aren't taking you to the cross, please do not follow them. This week I remembered a famous clip of a sermon from John Piper. It's, I don't know, it's probably 20 years old. But I looked up the backstory. Most people don't know the backstory. So John Piper, he was teaching at a college ministry in Birmingham, Alabama. And this ministry had just had a recent convert who was very charismatic, very dynamic Christian leader. But he was starting to teach people this prosperity gospel. And he's starting to lead people that Jesus is like your golden ticket for your best life now. And we know, we know, we've seen this story played out. So he splits it, they separate, he starts his own ministry, it grows into thousands of people, and then he gets arrested. John Piper was there, and they had asked him, kind of the last man, will you teach about this? Will you speak into this? I'm going to read you just a couple paragraphs of what John Piper said. He said, I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But I'll tell you what I feel. Hatred. It's not the gospel. It's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message and your pigs won't die. Your wife won't have miscarriages. You'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. And here's the reason it's so horrible. When was the last time any American, African, or Asian ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because you drive a BMW? Never. They will say, oh, Jesus gave you that? Well, then, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That's elevating gifts above giver. I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful when you say through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. 
He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look glorious as God, not as giver of cars or safety or health. Oh, how I pray that America would be purged of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel and that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ. Oh, men and women, let's not be like these Corinthians and follow our leaders who say you can have it all. You can be rich. You can be kings. Let's follow the ones like Paul who say, I will suffer all things that I may gain Christ. If a leader isn't taking you to the cross, don't follow them. One more thing. One more thing Paul has for us. Next, he speaks to them as a father to his child. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with, a, with love and a spirit of gentleness? The last thing I think Paul's trying to help us understand is that Christian leaders expect their followers to live the cross. So they're stewards of the message of the cross. They live the cross, but they also expect their followers to live the cross. It's a big shift in tone from the biting sarcasm He's talking to them as a father. He's reminding them of their relationship. He's saying, I love you dearly. You're my beloved children. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to abandon you. He's contrasting himself with what's he call, what he calls guides or guardians. And these would have been kind of like hired babysitters. He said, I'm not just some temporary hired help. I am your dad. And so he tells them, imitate me. And I would argue the first fourth of this book, Paul's instructions can be summed up in just those two words. Imitate me. And y'all understand this is fatherly language. So back then, kids didn't have, you know, options. Go be whatever you want to do when you grow up. Back then, if you were a son, you were going to adopt the profession of your father. And so from a very young age, you'd be learning from your dad how to fish, how to be a baker, whatever it was. And y'all understand, that was a privilege between a father and a son. No one else got to have that relationship. So Paul is saying, my trade is imitating the cross. That's my trade, and I want you to imitate me. He says very clearly, his end goal is that all of us would learn to live the cross. He says he teaches this everywhere in every church. And then he gives us an example of Timothy. 
He says, if I can't visit, Timothy will come. And guess what? You won't be missing out on a thing. Because Timothy's doing this. He's, I taught Timothy all of my ways. But understand, he's not being prideful. He, he's not like a lot of us would be if we, you know, got on Twitter and said, everybody be like me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, all, all my ways are in Christ. And they're not for me. And so the picture here is, you know, a father teaching his trade to a son. Here's how you do this. This is how I do it. But guess where the father got all of that from? Guess where the father learned it? From his father. Paul's saying, I, I got all of this from my heavenly father. Paul's saying, all I do in leading people is take them to the cross because that's what my father did. That's the whole ball game. That's it. How about you this morning? What do you lead people to? And I want you to understand this morning, everyone in some way is a leader. That's what we have. A part of our vision statement is building leaders. We don't mean by that that everyone's going to be a pastor. What we do mean is everyone has influence. God has put us in relationship and community around somebody. And so you, this morning, if you went to the people in your life and you said, imitate me, and they actually did it, would they be led to the cross or to something else? You know, my, my guess for many of us, and I want to address particularly the men, the fathers in here, you know what I think the people in our life need most from us? I don't think they need more stuff. I don't think they need for us to magically be able to make them happy every day. I think most people in our lives need us to lead them to the cross. And to do that, they need us to live the cross ourselves. See, you know, Paul is making a big deal about this. This is not some finer theological point. This is not we can agree to disagree in some way. I mean, verse 21, Paul asked a stern question that every parent in here has asked some version of this question. The easy way or the hard way? This will change. This will be addressed. Your only choice is carrot or stick. So Paul, he, he will address this. But before that, he, he says something that sounds kind of strange. He says when he comes, he's not going to discern these arrogant, these false leaders. He's not going to discern them based on words. And what he's saying there is, I'm, I'm not going to judge them the same way they're judging everyone else. And that is, remember, they're, they're obsessed with sophisticated-sounding, charismatic rhetoric. And so they're, they're more interested in style than substance, is the way to think about it. But, but Paul says the gospel does not consist of words but of power. And y'all, this is one of these verses, there's like a hundred of them in 1 Corinthians. And if you just pull it out of context, you will totally misapply it. You will actually do the opposite of what Paul's wanting you to do. So this verse has been pulled out of context to say, hey, we don't need to teach and preach the gospel. Let's just do a bunch of miracles and then everyone will believe. But y'all, we know that's not what he means because that contradicts Jesus's own ministry. The man who did more miracles than anybody throughout his ministry, he prioritized the teaching over the miracles. And then when you look at the crowds and he saw they were just here for a show or just here to fill the be their bellies, he stopped doing the miracles because apparently just the miracles weren't leading people to believe. 
They were just creating consumers. So we know that's not what he means. We also know what it means because Paul has already told us. Again, he loves long arguments. He's already told us what he means by the gospel consists in power. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, what is it? It's the power of God. The cross is the power of God. You may say, how? How is that possible? What does that mean? Well, you have to understand the gospel isn't just what God uses to inform you. It's what God uses to transform you. The cross is the power of God because it changes your life. See, Paul knows no human being in their right mind, on their own, will choose the life that Paul has chosen for himself. Nobody on their own will say, great, a cross. I would love to pick that up and carry it myself. Yet, when you behold Jesus on the cross and what he has done for you, it changes you. You start to become like what you behold. So he says, Paul's saying, when I come, I'm not listening to any flowery talk. You know what I'm going to look for? Changed lives. I'm going to look for changed lives, people whose lives look like the cross. And so if behind these leaders is a trail of people who say, I will endure hunger and thirst and poverty, sign me up. I will be the scum of the earth for the sake of Christ. Then I'll know it's the power of God. Then I'll know. And if not, I don't care how great it sounds. It's just a human show. If leaders aren't taking you to the cross and expecting you to live the cross, don't follow them. Well, I got to tell you, y'all, I, I wish Paul could have been here last week because Paul would have seen what he's looking for if he was in this church last week. A couple things happened last Sunday. Uh, the first thing that happened was I was a doofus, a total doofus. I totally messed up. I totally dropped the ball. So I got up here just like we did a few minutes ago, uh, and I dismissed the kids into their children's ministry. The problem with that is on our new schedule, the first Sunday of the month, it's a family service. The kids are all supposed to stay in here. So there are no teachers. There are no plans. I've just created Lord of the Flies in the lobby back there. That's what happened. But I would bet most of you, by the way, none of the parents stopped me. I'm just pointing that out. I'm guessing most of you never noticed because a second thing happened. Second thing that happened last week is some people lived the cross. Some people showed up to church with a different plan, different preferences. I'm sure they would have loved to take a Sunday off from serving and sit in the service. They saw the mess I created. You know, what is this? A chance to set aside my personal preference, die to myself, to teach some people about Jesus. Sign me up. That's what happened. That's living the cross. And if you're one of those people, I want you to know, I may have preached a sermon last Sunday. You lived it. You lived it. There's people living it right now that are upstairs right now in that nursery right now. And many of you are in here today. You do it. To all of us. All of us in this room, listen, we have lots of leaders in this church who are taking you to the cross. 
And there's lots of leaders out in the world who will not. So the question for you this morning is, what type of leader will you follow? The second question is, what type of leader will you be? Find the leaders who will take you to the cross and follow them. And be the type of leader who brings people to the cross. Let's pray. Lord, you, you took what was meant for evil, what was meant to be shameful and horrific, unthinkable, and you filled it with beauty. Lord, because you loved us, because what Satan intended for evil, you intended from the dawn of time to use for our good and to redeem your people and to pay the price for our sin that we could never pay. Lord, I pray that message never gets, never gets old for us. May it never lose its awe and its power in us. Lord, and I pray for each and every individual here that needs that message, the message that God so loved them that he came and died. But if they believe in him, they can have eternal life. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would help them to believe that and you would lead them to your cross so that they can have a relationship with you. Lord, for all the rest of us, I pray that you would help us as a church, collectively, together. Lord, help us show people the cross. Help us be a reflection of your love and your sacrifice and, and teach us to do it, Lord, by our willingness to die to ourselves for the good of others and for your glory. Lord, as we walk out those doors, I pray we do it together on Sunday mornings, but Lord, as we walk into, out those doors into the, to our week ahead, would you teach us, would you show us how we can do that in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our jobs, Lord, whatever it is. Where we, we don't desire to be a people known as rich, a people known for not having any problems, or we desire to be a people known for reflecting the cross. Would you work that in us? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.